I worked as support staff at a law firm in San Francisco for 14 years, from about 1994 to 2007. And we support staff in our idle moments would sometimes talk about the attorneys behind their backs. One recurring theme to our discussions was, curiously, the attorney's lack of hygiene in the common restrooms. Many was the time I saw Robert, a partner in the firm, make a beeline from a bathroom stall to the door, completely bypassing the sink, where one might normally wash one's hands. And Melissa, a co-worker of mine, a legal secretary, once saw Monique, an attorney, do the same thing and a minute later saw her shaking hands with a visiting client. Ew, we exclaimed upon hearing this story, feeling superior to our bosses, and wondering how such educated people could have such slovenly habits. Well, now I realized that all those lawyers had probably read today's gospel passage from Mark. <laughs> it's not what you eat and poop that defiles you. Because that just passes through you. It is what originates in your heart that poisons and corrupts you. Fornication, theft, murder, etc. So by Mark's definition, it was actually us staff members who were defiled. Our slander and envy of our bosses marking us as the unclean ones. Yesterday we had our vestry retreat. And I was uncharacteristically running late. <laughs> so I needed to get a, you know, a, a box of coffee from Los Gatos Coffee Roasting Company. And I raced over there, and of course there's a line at 8.50 in the morning. The woman in front of me uh, seemed to take forever. You know how that goes. I'm like, come on. And, uh, what do I do in my spare time? I start judging her. Oh, spandex, healthy and fit, white woman with blonde hair. <laughs> and so I, there I am, right? Only human. And so uh, as she's finally completing her transaction, she steps away and her cell phone, which was resting on the counter, slips and falls to the floor. My neighborly instincts came through and I knelt down and got it for her, bent down, and uh, gave it to her. And as I gave it to her, you know how the cell phone sometimes turns on when you move it? It turned on and the, there was a message that's kind of her default screen. And it says, it said, take courage, be kind. And in that moment, <laughs> I thought, okay. Ricardo, calm down. First of all, I thought, what in her life would cause her to need to have that reminder? In, in, you know, is she afraid of things? Does she know that people haven't been kind and how important it is to be kind? And here I was doing exactly what those messages said not to do. You know, <laughs> not being courageous or kind. And so that was a little reminder from God through someone that I was chastising reminding me that what defiles you is what comes from your heart. So, not even I am perfect. <laughs> from today's epistle from James, of James, 
Rid yourselves of all sordidness and rank growth of wickedness and welcome with meekness the implanted word that has the power to save your souls. In contrast with the thicket of weeds that can spring up in our heart when we speak or act against our neighbor, James reminds us that God implanted in us a good word, a flower that's always been there under those rampant brambles of negativity. And that flower is waiting to blossom if we will just tend to it, if we will just take courage and be kind. And today's collect carries on that theme of tending to a garden in our heart. Graft in our hearts the love of your name. Nourish us with all goodness and bring forth in us the fruit of good works. When you graft a new branch onto an existing plant, you create the possibility for something new and wonderful. But it takes time to grow, and it must be tended with care. And so it is with us. When we try to graft a love for God onto our imperfect, yet ready-to-blossom hearts, we must take care to not let the weeds of our discontent or judgment suffocate what is tender and sacred and growing within us. So the message in today's text is pretty straightforward. Be doers of the word and not merely hearers who deceive themselves. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. As usual with matters of faith, it is easier said than done. But saying it and not doing it is actually the definition of hypocrisy. Now, religion is pretty fertile ground for hypocrisy, in case you haven't noticed. Not just with the Pharisees and their strict adherence to the law above all else, but also in our own day. Sadly, there are many examples of this, but let me just recount one. The church in San Francisco that raised me up for the priesthood was an Anglo-Catholic high church, smells and bells kind of place. When I first began to serve there as an acolyte, I shook in my shoes. Every movement we made at the altar was deliberately choreographed to create an atmosphere of sacredness and to screw up even just a little was to ruin everyone's worship experience. After church every Sunday, when I served at that altar, the same two parishioners would come back to the sacristy and let me know what I had done wrong. It was like they had been taking notes. Finally, on the day no one came back to talk to me, I knew I had done it right. No one, of course, told me. Looking back, I can't help but wonder whether the worship experience of those two parishioners was compromised but not by my mistakes, rather by their inability to see past the surface actions of the Mass to the sacredness of the liturgy itself. I have encountered many such folks in my various parishes, and my fear is that they worship the worship rather than worshiping God. On the other hand, I have been laughed at and dismissed for the love I have for this particular kind of Anglo-Catholic worship. There's a kind of smugness and eye-rolling that I've gotten from others, especially in seminary, when I have confessed to a fondness for high church things. That's judgment, too. 
I believe some people really do experience a sense of God through some of that fancy footwork and motions around the altar and incense. It's just a shame that something as basic as how we worship can at times become fertile ground for resentment on all sides. So, I won't wade any deeper into that liturgical thicket, nor will I talk about here, but I will repeat. There is nothing outside a person that going in can defile, but the things that come out are what defile. Be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger, for your anger does not produce God's righteousness. We said goodbye to two American icons last week, Aretha Franklin and John McCain. And both imperfect people, I'm sure, but the message and the, the memory of them uh, has a positive intonation that I think we need to hear in our times. Aretha Franklin demanded R-E-S-P-E-C-T as a woman, as a black woman, in times and years and decades when that wasn't the case. And she inspired many other people. I read, I read a little story about a woman who wrote to her and thanked her because her songs helped this woman leave an abusive relationship. You know, don't think of yourself as anything less than deserving of respect. John McCain has a diplomatic spirit. Even though he wasn't always right, after all, he didn't always vote the way I thought he should. <laughs> You knew, though, that he always came from a place of personal integrity and an integrity forged in hardship and discipline and love of country and humanity. So you didn't have to agree with him, but you had to know that he commanded respect as well. We are sorely lacking in these things these days. I think we can all agree on at least that. The message is there. Be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. We have been talking just a little bit in Vestry about having conversations, something called a living room conversation. It's a way of having a discussion in a community where you respect opposing sides. I have had someone come to me from one side of the political spectrum and the other together asking me to facilitate a discussion among us so that we can kind of get this out in the open, talk about our political differences and the moral crisis of our country. You may remember that Reclaiming Jesus statement that uh, I've been talking about and we have copies of in the back from our presiding bishop and other ecumenical leaders. Um, we're worried that it's going to be a Pandora's box, that if we talk about such scary things, people are going to get upset and leave. But these two people who came to me said, if we don't talk about this here, if we can't talk about this here, where can we? So I think this passage may be good for us if and when that time comes that we have those conversations as we remind ourselves to be quick to listen and slow to speak and slow to anger. So let that be a message from Scripture 2,000 years ago for us today. <clears throat> Finally, as James writes in today's epistle, every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. If God is the Father of lights, you are light. Live accordingly. Learn to love yourself as God does. See yourself through the tender gaze of Jesus. 
It's not just wickedness, envy, and slander that can defile from within. Weeds of low self-esteem and stuck thorns from past hurts can also darken the sacred light within you. So tend to the garden in your heart. There will be joy in doing so. And know that when you are generous or giving with others, you are ripening into God's vision of your precious self. Amen.